Daniel Permolin. Don't, don't be worried. Don't be concerned that we haven't found a place for you yet. I told Mark we can blow up a kiddie pool. We're going to use that. Okay, we just... Huh? Yeah, we got a dunk tank. We just got to get you immersed for a couple of minutes. Okay? For those of you who are not going to childcare, um, you can turn to Ezra chapter 3 if you have a Bible. If not, it'll be up on the screen behind us. We're going to read from chapter 3 starting in verse 8 this morning. <clears throat> you have to excuse me, I've got a, a um, throat lozenge in my mouth and I'm trying to chew and finish up really fast. I've had a chest cold all week. I, call, I, I texted Mark, I said, dude, I, I'm really sick. I may not be able to make Sunday, you know. <laughs> and he's like, uh, okay, I got a message I could do if I need to pull it out of my back pocket. And, uh, but fortunately... Uh, with some antibiotics that um, my oncologist gave me, they were concerned. They were real concerned, actually, because I'm t when when I'm with the uh, cancer treatment, uh, my immune system is very low. So I got to be careful, you know, that I don't get sick. So anyway, I'm doing much better. Um, still a little tight here. In fact, the the songs this morning they took a lot of lung, didn't they? <laughs> Boy, I was like, huh, oh, you know, <laughs> give me a break. They were such good songs. I wanted to keep singing, but I couldn't. I was like, <laughs> all right. Ezra, chapter 3, verse 8 through 13. This is what God's word says. Now, in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel and the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua, the son of Josedach made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with their sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. Whew, a lot of names there. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. 
though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. So what do we have here in this text? We've got two sons, Zerubbabel. They probably called him Babel or, or Babby. I bet they called him Babby. Let's call it, he, he was probably called Babby because Zerubbabel was just too difficult to say. So they probably called him Babby. Babby and Jeshua make a start together. You know, they get together and they, they say, we've got a plan. Let's make now a start. And they do this in the second uh, month of the second year, right? Okay. And they get together with all their kinsmen. This, these are all the people that came out of captivity. All the people that were in exile came out, and these were what, like 50,000 people, thereabouts? Actually, it, it, was, it was, I wrote the number down, it, it was 49,897 people. That's 103 people short of 50,000. I think that's a lot of people, right? You think that, well, 50,000, that's, yeah, quite a bit. But do you know how many came out of Egypt in the first exodus? 603,000 people. 603,550 to be exact, according to Numbers 146. That, that's roughly, let me think, 8%. I did the math. 8% from the first exodus to this second exodus. 8%. You know, we have probably, we have less than 100 people in here. We've got about 120 chairs that we can fit in this sanctuary. And we don't have it all filled. So, but if we had, even if we had 100 people Say there's, there's eight people. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. This front row plus one is what was leaving Babylon to go to Jerusalem. Eight percent. That's relative speaking, relatively speaking. That, that's not a lot of people. In fact, why so many, so many chairs are empty in this front row? I expect next Sunday to have that row filled, okay? Y'all, what, what's wrong with you? There's nothing scary about the front row. You can sit there. It doesn't have to be just for the pastors and for Greg and, and April. And, and, you know, it's, it's, for the, it's for everybody. Anyway, getting back to it. So, so there wasn't a lot of people, right? But they get together and they make a plan. They get a start. They start building some are supervising the work of the house of the Lord. In other words, they're, they're, they're supervising the whole plan. You know, they're, they're uh, getting people to, to bring materials in. They're paying people for this. They're paying people for that and so forth. And then some supervise the workmen themselves. So the people that were actually doing the work, those were supervised. And when they laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, there were trumpets and cymbals. This was a big celebration or a slab of foundation. That's all that was put down. 
There weren't any walls yet. There weren't any rooms. There wasn't a roof. This wasn't a house to house yet. You couldn't tell, oh, that's a house. No, this was just a foundation of materials that they built, that they laid down and, and called it the foundation of the temple. And for that, they were really celebrating, and they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. They were praising God because they knew what God would do if they would create a temple and worship Him. This was what was going to happen in their future as they built the foundation, as they built the house, as they put the altar in, as they put the temple together, as they then worshipped God, they knew what was going to happen if they worshipped God, and so they were praising and giving Him thanks for that. So for some, it was a big deal, and for some, it wasn't. And I'll talk a little bit more about that a little later. We've come to the point in the book of Ezra, where we have seen two major milestones completed. The first is the building of the altar, which Pastor Mark preached about last Sunday, beginning in Ezra chapter 3, verse 1. This was key. This, this was important because the people feared the nations that were around them. And they said, by example, they're thinking, by example, let's build an altar and worship our God, because we, we saw that when the people back then built an altar and worshiped God, God protected them, and he allowed them to defeat all their enemies. See, they didn't go to Cyrus and ask for an army. They didn't go around asking for help. They were having to rely on themselves for this and to rely on God. And so they said, hey, it worked for them. It's got to work for us. Let's build an altar. So they built an altar. That's the first thing, that, the first milestone. The, the second milestone is that uh, the laying of the foundation of the temple. Laying of the foundation of the temple. This brought shouts of joy and shouts of weeping. Both are key in understanding what they saw in the past, present, and future regarding their status with God and the building of the house of God. Shouts of joy. People were elated, happy. These, these, most of these people, they didn't see the previous temple. They didn't know what was going on. They, you know, there were a whole bunch more than 50,000 people were put into slavery, put into exile. And a lot of those people died off. They were there 70 years. A lot of those people died off. Kids were brought into the world, they grew up, they became fathers themselves, and all they knew were the stories that were told to them. And they see now the, the foundation of the temple, they, 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 need, they see in their head, in their mind, okay, we're starting, we're going to build the house of God, and we're going to be great again. We're going to be a great nation. So they're excited. And then there's shouts of weeping. Why? See, not all seem to be going well. These are the older folks, the people that saw the first temple. I'm going to get into that a little more 
a little later. You see, what we're beginning to see here is a call to worship. A call to worship by example. In other words, uh, by watching and emulating others who have gone before them, those who have shown the way. We see a call to worship despite disappointments, even when the past, present, and future look bleak, perhaps because of the consequences of sin, which is what happened in this case, perhaps because of expectations not met, also in this case, whatever it may be, we see a mixture of joy and weeping. We can learn from our text this morning that we too are called to worship, but not in the same way as they did back then in the Old Testament, because now we have a Savior. We have a Savior who has fulfilled all that He came to do in order to bring us to the throne of grace, to bring us back into reconciliation with our Heavenly Father, with God. He restored us. So this is what, we, what I have as my main points this morning. We are called to worship by example. We are called to worship despite disappointment. And we are called to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the title for my message this morning is, We Are Called to Worship. We Are Called to Worship. So let's begin with point number one. We are called to worship by example. So the people coming out of exile in Babylon, we, we established there are almost 50,000, 49,897 to be exact. I, I went back and I, I looked through chapter 2 of Ezra and counted. I actually I took a calculator and I counted up all these numbers. And, it, and, and in verse, um, let's see, where is it? In verse uh, 63, I finished... They were finishing the count, and it came up to like about, uh, what was it, 28? 29,818. Well, how did they get to 49? How did they get to 50,000? And then I remembered, oh, okay, this is just the men. They were counting the men in this list, these, you know, the sons of so-and-so, the sons of. These were men in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 63. And then verse 64, it says, it says 42,360 altogether, meaning including the women and children, okay? Plus uh, 7,337 male and female servants, plus 200 male and female singers. So now I calculated those up, and I come up with 49,897, just 103 short of 50,000. But what we see of them is following by example. The things that they do. Look, we see they, they follow the festivals in Le- Leviticus, Leviticus 23. Um, let me see if I can find that real quick. Leviticus 23. Listen, it, in the seventh month on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest. All of these were observing a day of solemn rest. A memorial proclaimed with blasts of trumpets, 
a holy convocation. What is a convocation? A holy convocation? That's like a sacred assembly. It's where the people get together. They gather up and, and, and celebrate. They gather up and, and, and um, commune together and celebrate together and rejoice together. And then uh, the 10th the day of the seventh month is a day of atonement. Okay? And now, the people in, in Ezra, they didn't have the temple built yet, so they couldn't do the atonement. So they didn't celebrate that one. But then they also they celebrated the 15th day, and they celebrated for a week, for seven days, and they called this the Feast of Booths. Feast of Booths. That's where they, they, they gathered to worship God for His faithfulness to their fathers and for His faithfulness to them. We see they followed Moses in building an altar. And, and so, so they too built an altar to make offerings according to the law. They wanted to follow the law. Again, by example. They, all right? We see they followed Solomon in getting cedars from Lebanon and having them rafted down to Joppa. They even did these things in the same months of the year. Solomon had begun to build the original temple in the second month, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, and 2 Corinthians, or 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And so in the second month of the second year, these people out of exile are saying, hey, let's get some, uh, let's, get some uh, let's, let's celebrate, let's do, let's do the festival things, let's do the cedars things, let's, let's follow what they did in building the first temple. And it'll be just as great. The people saw that when they went off the rails, so to speak, when they tried to do it on their own, <laughs> who hasn't done that? Do it on their own without God, things went bad. And they went really bad for them. Their numbers were decimated. Less than 50,000 people. And most of those weren't there at the beginning when the, when the first temple was, was, had been built and they were worshiping God in that temple. When the Babylons came in and then burned and destroyed everything. So they saw what worked, they saw what didn't work, and they were trying to emulate the things that worked. They're following by example. Now, we are also called to follow by example. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says this, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He's saying, follow, follow me, follow my example as I am following Christ's example. Then he also says in Philippians 4, 8 through 9, he says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace 
will be with you. He's telling us, follow by example. Follow by example. Follow him as he is following Christ. I intend to continue to practice these things. In fact, this verse and the verses before it have been in my back pocket. And I've pulled it out often over the past couple of years, actually since the 30th of August, 2020, when in the ER, I found out not only did I have two compression fractures in my spine, I had a whole bunch of microfractures in my ribs, which explains the pain I was in. And then to top it off, as if that wasn't enough, they told me I had cancer, multiple myeloma to be exact. I remember so clearly the doctor coming in and sitting, pulling up a chair next to me. I was sitting on the bed, and she pulls up a chair. Dinah was there sitting in another chair. And she sits down, and, and she gets serious. She takes a deep breath, and she says, um, you know, we, we found uh, you've got um, fractures in your spine. You've got uh, microfractures in your ribs. That's why you're in a lot of pain, I'm sure. She said, we, but we ran some blood tests, and, and I got some bad news for you. She says, we, got, we found cancer. And she was really expecting, I suppose she was expecting us to, to at that time, break down. But I, I, you know, I, I sighed, and I looked over at Dinah, and we both just kind of you know, shook our heads, you know, something else in our life. <laughs> and then I turned over to her and I said, okay, what's next? What do we do? And, and it kind of took her by surprise. It, it, I, think, I think she was really expecting us to just, uh, you know, I don't know, break down, cry, do something, you know, that normal people would do. We're not normal. Um, but she said, did, did you hear what I said? And, and yeah, and yeah, we heard you. I mean, I, and then I said, you know, our faith helps us to take these things. Not that not that it's going to be fun. We understand that. We know it's going to be hard. But um, but God is with us. And so then she seemed to relax. And then, okay, well, then I, let, you know, let's let's move forward. You know, some of us are blessed with health problems. <laughs> Others are blessed with car problems. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Pastor Mark. <laughs> in all seriousness, you know, we, in, in some social settings, we, we talk about their, your car problems. <laughs> we, we laugh and we... And then we pray. We pray. We pray. We pray for the Alterton's car problems. <laughs> But, you know, health problems, car problems, they relate differently to, and, and, and to different people. God gives us the faith for one, maybe not the other. And faith for the other, maybe not for one. You know? Health problems of the Lovano family. Let me, let me give you some insight. Starting with my wife of 36 years. Man, that's a lot of years, woman. <laughs> I'm a bad man. 
36 years. And you know what? Every one of those years, Dinah had health issues. She's had autoimmune issues galore, Sjogren's, lupus, RA, and others. Yeah, I think you have RA. Um, she's had kidney and liver issues. Now, the liver problems that she's had are due to some of the autoimmune issues, but because of them, she can't take any pain meds. You know, we have a headache, we take Tylenol. We take aspirin. We have a pain in our shoulder, we, you know, we go get you know, something for that. We take some pain, pain medication. And she can't because that will just ruin her liver even more because the pain meds go straight through your liver. So when she's in pain, it's really pain without medication and she's been with it for a long time. And she's suffered for that, with that for 36 years. It's incredible how she portrays herself around people, even at home. I mean, she's, she's no different. She, you know, like everyone, she complains about her pain, but you know, it's not constant. It's not, it's not her life. The pain is not her life. She has something better than that. Savannah Graves' disease. That's an overactive thyroid. Sierra, my other daughter, Hashimoto's disease. That's an underactive thyroid. See, the Levanos wanted to use both sides. We want to make sure that we cover all the bases for these diseases. DJ, my son, Daniel. Some of you know him as Daniel. Type 1 diabetes at 14. Now he's 30. That, that's over half his life. He also just has been diagnosed with gastroparesis, which is a severe stomach disorder. Causes extreme pain, nausea, and that disease causes his blood sugar to skyrocket. And for a type 1 diabetic, that's a bad thing. So he's got to push insulin in order to bring that down and it's so difficult because then he starts to do this, okay? And when he can't control it, then he has to go to the ER. He needs so much pain, so much pain. It's hard to live with. And then there's me. Heart issues since turning 40. That was in 2001. I have four stints over multiple procedures and a triple bypass. I got to make sure that I get it all in. My grandfather was the same thing. He had heart issues. I, I look and, and act and probably um, am most similar to my mom's dad. Um, and uh, he had heart issues. In fact, they did an open heart surgery with him, a triple bypass. It was the first one done in Illinois in that particular hospital. So they have a plaque with his name on it that indicates that he had the first uh, triple bypass done. And he had, I believe he had two triple bypasses. So, and he lived to, I think, 92. He was, he got up there. I hope to do the same. 93, maybe. And then I've got cancer. As I mentioned, uh, in August of 2020, I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. And, and, and so I immediately went into, um, you know, 
handling that, got it taken care of, got a stem cell transplant done, and by January of um, uh, 2021, I was on recovery, was in the hospital still for three weeks, came out of the hospital, everything was good, and then not even a year later, the cancer came back. And so I started treatment again, started treatment again, and now they've discovered because of the cancer or because of the treatment, some say it's because of the cancer, some say it's because of the treatment, they found tumors in my left shoulder. That's why I've had the uh, um, uh, fentanyl patch. Well, I've just come off the fentanyl patch because I thought it was time. It was just time to come off of it. I, I, I didn't want to be on it anymore. So they, I slowly came down off of it. And about a week ago, a week and a half ago, I came fully off of it. And I started recognizing pain again in my shoulder. But I also recognized that I had pain in my right shoulder. So now I probably got to go get another MRI done to see if there's something up there. Uh, my guess is, is probably, you know, some more um, tumors. But praise God, I'm praying the possible that God can do. Amen? I'm praying the possible that God can do. Now for me, ever since 2020, when the words just seemed to jump out of the text through my eyeballs and into my head, out of Philippians 4, I heard the Holy Spirit say this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, I will say, rejoice. And it wasn't like screaming at me. You know, sometimes I'll read the text with some, some volume and passion. Like I'll say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Expecting to hear, amen, yes. Hallelujah. But no, it was a very calming voice in my head. The Holy Spirit saying to me, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. As if to remind me. As if to remind me because of what he was doing in my life. He was building in me the ability to rejoice despite my disappointment. Despite all that was wrong in my life. My heart cancer, including past sins, present and future sins, the consequences of those sins, the suffering I see in my own family, over their health issues, things that made me sad, things that made me angry, things that in the past that would have caused me to question, why, Lord? Why? The Holy Spirit was quieting my spirit and saying, Rejoice. The Lord is at hand. And at the same time, He also gave me Deuteronomy 31 8. And many of you have, have heard me say this 
as if speaking to me as a dear friend, as a dear friend, as a dear friend. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. This is a friend speaking into my life. I want to read all of Philippians 4, 4 through 7. This is probably my most favorite scripture verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And this part, I love this part. Here is a dear friend speaking to you. He says in verse 7, and the peace of God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Point number two. We are called to worship despite disappointment. I have sat with some of you over the years and prayed with you over disappointment, hardships, some of you with health issues, others financial or job situations. I've prayed with you about marriages, about your kids and extended family. So much suffering. Some of these issues caused by past sin or ongoing sin and the consequences we face because of our past choices. Others not related to sin at all, but the outcomes or the situations we're looking at are just not good. All the suffering. And if we continue to look at stuff that's in our past, things that we cannot change, well, that's never a good thing. You see, we cannot let the memory of past failures paralyze and drown out the sweetness of present mercies. Mercies that never come to an end. Lamentations 3.22, so familiar. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. This is what was happening in verse 12. Let me read that again. Verse 12. But many of the priests and the Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice 
when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. What was so wrong? What was so wrong? See, they remembered the original temple that Solomon built. They were there. They worshipped in that house. They worshipped at that temple. Remember, this is, this is just, just over 70 years when the temple was burnt down. So there's still survivors of that time. Many of the almost 50,000 people were new. Uh, they, they only heard stories of what happened to their people, but, but they weren't there. These are the ones who are rejoicing in the laying of the temple of the foundation because they were looking to the future. But those who were remembering the past were weeping loudly. Plus, there's no mention of the, of the Ark of the Covenant, so it's probably not there. It, was, it had been stolen, and they probably never recovered or hadn't recovered it. And so when they're talking about you know, what they're building as far as the, the foundation and the temple and the, and, the, and the altar and what they're going to do there and what they're going to praise God and they're going to worship God, they did not mention the ark. So that weighs heavy on them. And when Solomon built the original temple, it was, it was grand. Grand because he had lots of money to spend and, and build something extremely grandiose and beautiful. Even the foundation back then was built with the best of everything that they had. They had the money and the means to do it. It doesn't say, but, but if some were weeping, you have to assume they were, they were comparing and they weren't pleased with their comparison. It probably wasn't going to be the temple that they remembered from Solomon's days. The temple they remembered before it was burnt to the ground. It's not going to be as grandiose. And they're sad. They're weeping. Another reason they may have been sad is because they weren't the numbers they were from the first exodus. We talked about this. When the people were brought out of Egypt, they counted above 600,000. Now they're only 50,000. They've been decimated like God had promised through Moses in Deuteronomy 4.27. Because of their sin, their numbers were decimated. God said, here's the consequence of your sin. And then to make things worse, there were more of them who were rejoicing with a loud shout rather than weeping, so much so that it could be heard from far away. We can mope about whining and complaining that life isn't fair. I don't have this, or I don't have that, and totally miss out on the present mercies. Miss out on the joy in our lives 
or the joy of our loved ones. But I don't think that's what the Holy Spirit wants for us to do. I don't think that's how He wants for us to live. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, some of you may push back and say, Oh, but you don't understand. No, I think I do. I think I do understand. Perhaps more than a majority of the people in here. And, and I'm telling you, we are called to worship. We are specifically called to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. My point number three and my final point for this morning. We are called to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Christ, the Son of God, of whom God the Father said in Matthew 17, 5, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And who it is, it is said of in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The One, the Christ, who made a choice to leave His deity and become fully man, fully God and fully man, He came to earth and was born lived a sinless life, and preached his gospel. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's all right there. That's the gospel. That's all of it right there through Jesus Christ. He spoke of his Father in John 6.40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. This is the gospel. And he spoke of himself in John 10.11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. In verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is the gospel. And yet, because of our sin, we sent him to the cross. He went willingly. He knew the cost. In fact, like any human would, he feared what was coming. In, in Luke twenty-two forty-two, he says, Father, he's on, his, he's on his knees, he's down on the ground, He's crying out. He's praying. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. 
Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Notice how he puts that. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he said, when, when he said that, he wasn't waiting for an answer. He wasn't saying, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What's your answer? What's it going to be? Are you going to take this cup from me, or do I have to drink it? No, he wasn't saying that because he knew, he already knew what the will of the Father was. It was to put him on that cross for us. He knew what his sacrifice would bring. He knew the reward that was waiting for him on the other side of glory. He did all that was necessary to fulfill the payment. He paid the ransom in full with all that he had. And he said, it is finished. And gave up his spirit. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. But God, having been satisfied that the payment was just for the sins of the world, raised him up on the third day to reign as king over all. Having conquered death, death is no more able to hold on to us for those who believe in him. When we confess him as our savior, we can begin to rejoice and shout so that our shout would be heard far away. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll be like the people in the second exodus who after seeing the foundation to the temple of God in Jerusalem being laid, shouted for joy at what was to come. They're shouting for joy of what is to come, what was to come. Oh, there will come a day, either when our body ends here on earth or he returns for us, it will be a day like none other, a day of rejoicing beyond our imagination, a day when he will wipe away all our tears, there will be no more suffering, no more sadness, no more crying, no more pain, no more having to push yourself to get up in the morning, no more having to see the doctor, no more, sorry, Rick, no more, no more health issues, no more car issues. There will be none of that. Like Mark said this morning, he will make all things new, Revelations 21, 4 through 5. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things 
new. Praise God. I have more, no more to say about that because Mark took my thunder. He said it all this morning. God is prepared to make a place for us where there is joy and happiness and rejoicing and shouting and praising and worshiping Him. For us, life eternal in the presence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit singing praises as we worship our Savior will be something to rejoice about for sure. But you know what? That doesn't mean we can't start rejoicing here and now. We are called to worship we are called to worship. I plead with you. Pick up your banner and join me in worshiping the one who deserves our worship, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord. For all you're doing, for all you have done for this, for this text, Lord, and how it helps us to understand that we are called to worship, as they were called to worship as well. We have a Savior, so our worship should be even greater because of what He has done for us and what we will have in store for us in the new heaven and the new earth. So let us rejoice, Father. Let us rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.